0: Bye. And made me what I am today. This an old sinner saved my grace. I'm just the same. Victories God has won. Where would I be had God not brought me gently to this place? I'm here to say I'm nothing but an old sinner saved by God. See?
1: Brother Ruben, for the beautiful music, once again, we are blessed with your ministry. May God bless you too. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this occasion. It's a high Sabbath, because it is Sabbath that brings us closer and closer to the end of time. And we ask that as we tackle this issue today, it is one that is facing God's people. And we need to understand the role of conscience in the choices that we will be making and follow the example of Christ and the people that stood for their conscience, not their convenience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, happy Sabbath. Under a condition, both nationally and globally, where we are on a You know, the COVID is the other great equalizer. And we feel that we are just one, puts us in a place where pride has no, you know, has no place. And because we are all vulnerable, some more, some less, we are facing the certainty that one of these days, you know, if not COVID, it's got to be something else. We are mortal. And so we look forward to the promise that we seek immortality to him who alone is immortal, which is Christ Jesus. But between now and then, we have to have the courage of our conviction and the choice of our conscience. And I'd like to go to the conscience because that's the focal point of what kind of courage and conviction and choices we will be making And I would like to read a portion of what Jesus told his disciples. I I, I would call Matthew chapter 10 God's working orders for his disciples. You should read it for yourself, Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 42. But let me read a portion here that leads us to a key verse for this particular study. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. Matthew chapter 10, 17 to 20. Um, Jesus said, Behold, I send you forth a sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings, for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. In verse 19 it says, But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speaks, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And that's very important because that's the the greatest thing that greatest among the greatest tests that God's people would be meeting these last days. We need to be prepared and God prepares his people. He doesn't spring surprises on them. He prepares them way ahead, even as the antediluvians were prepared way ahead before the flood. They were given 120 years to do that. So our key verse here is found in um Acts 24, 16, and I will beg you to read the whole chapter because the time, the occasion, and the place is typical of what we are going to face, right? What was the occasion here? The occasion was Paul was defending himself against the false accusations of a very, very well-known orator. His name was Tertullius. And he was standing in court before whom? This is not by accident. That's why this is a prototype of what we will be facing, as Jesus told his disciples. He was standing before Ananias, the high priest. That's religious. Or church. And Felix, the governor. That's the state or the secular power, civil government. And so as he was defending himself before the church and state. Something very important to, this, to the key in how we will be able to defend God. God and his truth. And God will use us to defend his truth. As a witness, it says there. As a witness against them and against the Gentiles. Central to that is the Conscience. So what did Paul himself declare in Acts chapter 24, 16? He said, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and toward man. A conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. And because he had this, he was able to stand strong, firm, and true, unwavering in his witness. So that's going to be the key verse that we will be using all throughout. Now, let me make a statement. It is against God's expressed will and plan to persuade Much less to bribe, to dupe, to force, or coerce anyone to violate his conscience. Because such actions and tactics are never part of God's kingdom and means of saving souls by his gospel. Rather, and on the contrary, it is such acts and deeds that are the unmistakable marks and distinction of the dark kingdom, the apostate church, and the fallen synagogue of Satan, which God and Christ warned his people. And I'm going to be reading as, as, as part of the introduction from uh, The Desire of Ages, one of the most favorite of all nonfictional books and extra scriptural or extra out of the Bible, but of the Bible. And it is found in Desire of Ages, page 550. In matters of conscience, the soul must be left untrammeled. No one is to control another's mind, to judge for another, or to prescribe his duty. God gives to every soul freedom to think and to follow his own conscience and convictions. Because he states here, she states here in Romans 45, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. No one has a right to merge his own individuality in that of another. In all matters where principle is involved, Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. That's Romans 14 verse 5. For in Christ's kingdom, kingdom on earth, there is no lordly oppression, no compulsion of any manner. The angels of heaven do not come to this earth in order to rule and to exact homage or worship but as messengers of mercy to cooperate with men in uplifting humanity. Next quote I'm going to be sharing with you is also from the same book but from pages 487-488. It is no part of Christ's mission to compel men to receive him. It is Satan and men actuated by Satan's spirit that seek to compel the conscience under a pretense of zeal for righteousness. Men who are confederate with evil angels will bring suffering upon their fellow men in order to convert them to their ideas of religion. But Christ is ever showing mercy ever seeking to win by revealing his love. He can admit no rival in the soul, nor accept of partial service, but he desires only voluntary service, the willing surrender of the heart under the constraint of love. There can be no more conclusive evidence that we possess the spirit of Satan than the disposition to hurt and destroy those who do not appreciate our work or who act contrary to our own ideas. Every human being in body and soul and spirit is the property of God alone. Christ died to redeem all Nothing can be more offensive to God than for men through religious bigotry to bring suffering upon those who are a purchase of the Savior's love. Now let's work on the definition of conscience and it's important because conscience in and of itself is not the end all be all. There are all kinds of consciences in the Bible. And we want the conscience that is of the mind of Christ. And we do not mind our business and understand what this means. It's from the Greek uh, concordance. The, this word conscience is mentioned 31 times. I've counted it in the King James Version. And, but all of them are found in the New Testament only. And it's the Greek word called sunodaisis. And it means cooperation, uh, that is moral consciousness, to see completely, to understand or become aware of, to be conscious, to be informed, consider, to know, to be privy, to be aware of. Now, I'm going to refer to a Bible dictionary on this topic uh, And it is wonderful, a definition. It says that the definition of conscience is an inward faculty of consciousness that sits in judgment of the moral rightness of thoughts, words, and actions independent of the individual's desires or inclinations. The word conscience does not appear in the King James Version Old Testament. And only once in the revised standard version, and it's found in 1 Samuel 25:31. You can read that up. But that translation of that word in the Hebrew is Leb, and Leb means heart. So as we proceed, the word heart also means conscience, especially if emphasized within the context. However, Its functions or operations are implied in the Old Testament. And there are verses provided. For all men are endowed by God with a conscience, including the will, which is the power of choice. But all consciences, not all consciences, are equally enlightened. That's what it says in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 to 20. And I found that in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Dictionary, Commentary Reference Series, Volume 2. Now, what are these verses above? Genesis 3:8 to 10, and I let's go through that. And this is Adam and Eve, okay? This is familiar to you. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Verse 9 says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Uh, There are comments that we'd like to, uh, observations about this. You know, in this particular account, all we read are voices and conversations between God and Adam after the fall. But apparently no visual contact. It says that they heard the voice of the Lord God. Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And the Lord God called unto Adam, Where art thou? Where art thou? And Adam responds and he says, I heard your voice in the garden. You know, this reminds me of two situations in two different times and places both in the Old Testament and today here and now. The first one is of Elijah the prophet. In the time of the greatest apostasy of Israel under the apostate king Ahab and his wicked pagan wife Jezebel and he was that is Elijah was this On the second man that was translated to heaven without tasting death after Enoch. Now, it's interesting if you read 1 Kings 19. This is so important because as Elijah had fled because of fear from a death sentence made by Queen, the wicked Queen Jezebel, that should remind us of something, it's persecution, okay? He fled and as he was hiding he uh, god came down to him again but it was a voice and so i'd like to turn to first kings 19 because you and i need to read this because in the last days there will be people that will be translated but they're going to go through a similar experience as elijah did elijah was type the 144,000 of revelation 7:14 are the anti type and they do uh, represent or they do actually will have to go through this because of the test of the mark of the beast given in Revelation 13 And they used to be so and there's a death decree connected with that in 1st Kings chapter 19 and I'll read this to you uh, We'll have time to go through all of this It begins with verse 1 and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with a sword Watch this, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I will make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. It's a death decree, as you slew my prophets, so will you be slain tomorrow. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there alone. He went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm not better than my father. So he lay down and slept. You should read this story. Angel came down twice. Woke him up, fed him. Slept, he woke him up and fed him again. And said, because you have a journey to take. And so he did. And he did. What was the journey? Oh, he journeyed forward and went to Mount Horeb and stayed there for 40 days and 40 nights without food. And so he went into a cave, hiding in a cave. And we are told that in this days coming, it may be necessary for those who are still alive at that time to be also in hiding in chosen places. They don't choose the place. God finds that place for them. It's a safe hiding place. And so when he was in that cave, the word of God came to him. The word of God. I'd like to emphasize that. And a question: What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And he answers and says, "I have been very jealous for God of hosts, for the children of Israel. They have forsaken your covenant. Um, they have forgotten you. They have thrown down thine altars and." Slain, kill thy prophets with a sword. And then he says, I, I, even I only am left. (laughs) And he says, I am the only one, and they seek my life. They want to kill me. And the voice said, Go forth, stand upon the mountain before the Lord, and then look at this, follow me through. And behold, the Lord passed by. Now that's familiar. Remember Moses, asking to see the face of the Lord, and the Lord passed by? Something happened. And here in the case of Elijah, when the Lord passed by, first something happens. A great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces rocks before the Lord, but the Lord, the Lord was not in the wind, and then after the wind, an Earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake and then after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and then after the fire or after the wind and the earthquake and the fire something follows in contradistinction in dramatic effect and what was it and after the fire a still small voice ah in verse 13 and it was so when Elijah heard it the still small voice that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entering of the cave and behold there came again a voice a voice said unto him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You're standing here again. Oh, he repeats his sad story, Sub story. He says that I have been very jealous for God, the God of hosts, because of the children of Israel, their apostates, they have forsaken your, your covenant, they've thrown down your altars. Oh, he goes through the same thing again. Does that remind you of us? We rehearse our difficulties. Watch him. And, and slain your prophets. And then he says, he says it again. Look at me. I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life. They want to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come there, you will have to anoint Hazael to be king of Syria. Can you imagine that? what a work he still had to do and so forth and so on. Well, what did God tell him in verse 18, which should remind us that we're not alone if we're faithful, but the numbers will be very few. We won't know who they are, but God does. In verse 18, God says, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel all the knees which have not bowed to Baal, or the Sangal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. all oh, that kissing thing, which we see, images being kissed, started way back there. And you should read the rest. But the focus here is that still, small voice. The voice that Adam and Eve heard when they were hiding because of shame and because of guilt what is that voice so we want to understand this very properly because this still small voice is the voice of conscience you know in this account uh, we're reading this that's about Elijah what about the second situation that was the ultimate it is here now because that still small voice is still inaudible. It is the small voice of conscience. When we, and it should remind you of occasions that this has happened to you and me, when we knowingly um, think, indulge imaginations, say, or do things which we know will not uh, please God, though it pleases man and pisses self. But this is only if our conscience is not fully calloused, dulled, hardened, or seared. Conscience is also defined in the spirit of prophecy as the voice of God heard amidst the din or noise of human passion. And is in biblical fact the voice of of the invisible Holy Spirit. In First Samuel twenty-four five and six, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him. And you should read that verse, that chapter, because he had cut off a portion of the skirt of Saul. His father-in-law was hunting him, and he had the advantage. He didn't know he was high. He was. He went into the cave, and David's people were there. And his men said, "Go ahead and kill him." David said, "No." All I'm going to do, I'm going to tiptoe up to him, cut a portion and let him know that I could have, but I did not. But even in that act, he was already convicted. His conscience was tender. He says his heart smote him because what, you know what he said? Uh, how could I do this thing unto my master or kill so the Lord's anointed? To stretch forth my hand against him seeing is anointed of the lord uh, isn't that an unmistakable evidence that david had a conscience that was still tender and undefiled then in psalms 51 3 this is the same david now in a different setting okay he says this was after he had committed all those terrible sins we need not go through that psalms 51 3 verse says uh, for I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me in the context in which you are trying to understand what his conscience is, his conscience was being bothered, but he knew how to deal with it, and we should know how to deal with that because he says when when he was a man after God's own heart, as he was called and identified in a great great distinction. Not when he was doing all these evil things, but before it and after it. When he was young and uncorrupted by power. and But he understood how he would uh, receive pardon, forgiveness, or the big word justification from a merciful yet righteous and just God. He did not engage in good works such as painful pilgrimages, um, penances, which are, all of these are risky, um, or getting involved in what was known as holy wars. The Church of Rome did that uh, in in their so-called crusaders. You got the crusades or its equivalent in the Muslim or Islam jihad. These are holy wars. You know, let's be reminded praying for forgiveness no matter how long or how often or how um, complicated and, and highfalutin it is, uh, without a contrite heart, acknowledging the specific sin accompanied with a genuine repentance that, of committing that sin that has crucified Christ the Not because we were discovered or caught in the act or fear of humiliation, painful and terrible consequence is where and when God's promise of his mercy and forgiveness is granted. This is in fact a summed substance of justification by faith, not justification by works. So as we begin this study, it is essential that we all pay attention because we will go through as much as we can in the in the following sermon studies on how we need to take care of this conscience because this will be the final battlefield between Christ and Satan and where the issue of eternal life and eternal death will be determined by our choices and decisions. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father heaven, we thank you Lord that you have preserved examples in the Bible as teaching lessons for, those, for us who are living in these last days, as Paul says, upon whom the ends of the world have come. Lord humble us, may we be willing to learn, may we be willing to unlearn those wrong things that we have been clinging to and may the scales Of misconception and error come out of our eyes our physical eye because the eye in the Bible is actually the eye of conscience make it clear and single to thy glory because of your grace your power and our voluntary submission to you in Jesus name we pray amen